Good morning. Welcome to Crestview Inspiration, a ministry of encouragement from Crestview Baptist Church in Canton, North Carolina. We want to share with you sweet songs of worship and an uplifting word from the scriptures. While you listen, may the spirit of grace flow from heaven into your heart and home, right where you are. my King, through eternal ages let His praises ring, glory in the highest I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God, standing, standing, standing on the promises of This is Pastor Mark Page again. The next song that we want to share with you is called His Hands. I wrote this song um, when thinking about the love that Jesus showed us, the healing that he did with his hands, and also um, the nails that he took in his hands for you and for me so that we could have life and hope. This song was recorded by 6-8 Worship at Sky Studios, WNC. Only through his nails 
feel alone Won't you listen as the Savior says Come home His hands found me In the middle of the darkness I was dead and I was gone But Jesus set me free His love reached out To a man that's Good morning, friend. I'm glad to be back with you. I want to take you to Daniel chapter 8 as we unpack this prophetic passage and here to the end of the book of Daniel. You may know, you may not know that the first uh, chapters, chapters 2 through 7, were written in the original language in Aramaic, which was the language of Persian Babylon. But from here onward, chapter 8 to the end of the book, the language is written in Hebrew. And so I want to uh, look at God's redemptive plan and the vision that God gave Daniel in reference to his long-term plan for humanity. And the main idea is God desires that we be informed of his long-term plan. Let's read the first 12 verses together. In the year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. I saw in the vision, and it so happened while I was looking, that I was in Shushan, the capital, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision that I was by the river Ulai. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and there standing beside the river was a ram, which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but the one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward, so that no animal could withstand him. 
nor was there any that could deliver from his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. And as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west, across the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Then he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing beside the river, and ran at him with furious power. And I saw him confronting the ram. He was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, and broke his horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. Therefore the male goat grew very great, but when he had become strong, the large horn was broken, and in place of it four notable ones came up toward the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. And it grew up to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast truth down to the ground. And he did all this and prospered. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that certain one who was speaking, How long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary will be cleaned. I'm, I'm going to stop right here, and I want to unpack this for us. There's part of God's prophetic plan. What are the aspects of God's plan as seen in the vision of Daniel? There are five aspects of the vision that bring us understanding of God's plan. And I want to speak about three of those this morning. Number one, we must understand God's desire to reveal the future. Here in verse 8, we see God give Daniel another vision following the predictive prophecy of the vision of chapter 7. We see more details about the future. This vision occurs three years after the vision of chapter 7. Daniel sat by the canal of the river Uli, an artificial canal that flowed near the city of Susa in modern-day Iran at the foot of the Zagros Mountains. This vision unveils God's desire to disclose, at least in part, the future of the human race. Why? The answer is simple. God wants his children to know that he is in control and he has a well-designed plan. He gave this vision to Daniel to unveil his future. And this forms the theme of the book of Daniel, that God is in charge. So the tremendous loss of the kingdom of God's children with the ransacking of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple create a sense of despair among God's children. And we can sense a small bit of that despair right now with this pandemic that has caused death and disruption and economic havoc. So God has supernaturally delivered to his servant Daniel this vision of the future. It's interesting to note that God only discloses to us, the readers, a part of the future, not all that Daniel saw. For we read in chapter 12 that God told Daniel to seal up the book until the time of the end. Daniel 12, 4 says, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book 
until the time of the end, and many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So God has limited us in part from the specifics of the future, but he still gives us vital information about the future, and it's critical to grasp that God has already seen the future and is, in fact, in total control of the past, present, and the future. That describes the God of the Bible, the God who created time, the God who has infinite knowledge and infinite power, the sovereign God who loves us and wants us to understand these future events to prepare us for what is coming. Ultimately, he wants people to believe in him and to know that he not only exists, but he is powerful and sovereign over the whole universe. Yet he thinks of each individual as a special creation. He cares enough to reveal the knowledge of the future. Jesus said in response to the question from his disciples, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? He responded, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Matthew chapters 24 through 25 record the words of Jesus as he unveils the signs, the event markers that signal his soon return. The reason he shared all these markers was to prepare all generations for the end and for the return of Christ to the earth. Are you prepared for the return of Christ? Have you prepared your heart to receive the King, and do you know that you belong to him? I pray that you'll be prepared for the return of Jesus, and you'll know that you are his, and he is yours. The second aspect of this vision, not only does God desire for us to know what's coming, we must understand the meaning of the symbols. We see here the goat and the ram. We have to understand the meaning of the goat and the ram. The vision of the ram with the uneven horns signifies the Medo-Persian Empire. This empire, as seen in chapter 7, had an uneven power share. The Persian side was more powerful than the Medes. Thus, the one horn is larger than the other. The military might of this empire is impressive. The conquest included a northern conquest, a westward conquest, and a southern conquest. In fact, no military could withstand this ram and its military might. This Medo-Persian empire stretched from Eastern Europe into Northern Africa and all the way through the Middle East and Central Asia into India. It was a massive empire. But another animal appears in Daniel's vision, the male goat. This goat had one horn and ran so fast that its feet didn't hardly touch the ground. The goat sees the ram and charges the ram with his head down, clashing heads with the ram and breaks off the two horns of the ram. The ram had no power to resist the powerful goat. This goat represents the Greek army of arising out of Macedonia. As this goat came from the west, for example, Macedonia and Greece, just like Alexander did around 334 BC, he rapidly covers the entire empire that had been amassed by the Medes and Persians. This one horn represents Alexander the Great who we saw last week, died at 33 years of age. He was sad that there were no more kingdoms to conquer. Despite the much larger army of the Medes and Persians, Alexander crushed the military might of this superior force, including war elephants and innovative military equipment. His tactical prowess and military genius proved too much for the Medo-Persians. Despite his rapid rise to stardom, Alexander died suddenly and his empire was divided up among four of his generals, thus fulfilling the scripture that says the large horn was broken and in place of it four notable ones came up toward the four winds of heaven. History tells us that Alexander died of a sudden fever brought on by partying and drinking too hard or possibly other causes. One historian writes, 
Now that he had returned to Baghdad after years of military campaigning, Alexander took the opportunity to rest and to plan his next conquest. On May 29, 323 B.C., he attended a dinner given by a close friend. Alexander joined in the heavy drinking during the day-long event. Complaining that he did not feel well, he went to bed. Alexander's health steadily deteriorated as fever racked his body. Finally, too weak to leave his bed, the conqueror of the world died 10 days after he was stricken. The exact cause of Alexander's death is unknown. Historians have debated the issue for centuries, attributing it to poisoning, possibly by Cassander, or malaria, or typhoid fever, or other maladies. What is agreed upon is this, that the Macedonian king died in early June 323 B.C. while suffering a high fever that lasted 10 days. His empire was carved up by his generals and soon disintegrated. These four generals of Alexander who eventually gained control were Ptolemy in Egypt and the Middle East, Seleucus in Central Asia all the way to India, Lysimachus in Thrace and Western Turkey, and Cassander who took over Macedonia and Greece. This fourfold leadership has been named uh, the Diodokai. The scripture holds true with the prophecy of Daniel found in these two places. The same truth unfolds in 7-6 as it does here in verse 8 of chapter 8. The vision of Daniel came true. It's important for us to remember that biblical prophecy is truth. All the Bible is truth. And that we need to have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church through the prophecy. This is spiritual understanding and spiritual discernment. If we don't have the Holy Spirit to help us grasp these truths, it will be difficult to understand scriptural truth. We need the Holy Spirit to enlighten the eyes of our understanding so that we can understand what God is saying. May we pray for spiritual understanding, and may he give it as we study his word. The third aspect of this prophecy is we must understand the rise of the little horn. Here in these verses, in verse 9 and following, the scripture speaks about a little horn which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. What is that little horn? Uh, this little horn is a, a leader from the Greek empire who is different than the other ones. But the Bible says this little horn grew up out of them, which this can be identified as Antiochus IV, Ep Epiphanes, who usurped the throne of the Seleucid kingdom, the Greek kingdom of Egypt, from his nephew, the son of his older brother, Seleucus IV. This Antiochus Epiphanes, in Greek that means the manifest one, pushed eastward and southward, just as verse 9 indicates, eventually taking over most of Egypt, the Middle East, and into Southeast Europe. He was the Greek king who ruled from 175 B.C. until his death in 164 B.C. He was a son of King Antiochus III, who was the great. His original name was Mithradates. He assumed the name of Antiochus after he ascended the throne. This is what Gleason Archer writes. He says, His determination to impose religious and cultural uniformity on all his domains led to a brutal suppression of Jewish worship at Jerusalem and generally throughout Palestine, which in the scriptures called the glorious land in verse 9. This suppression came to a head in December 168 B.C. when Antiochus returned in frustration from Alexandria, Egypt, where he had been turned back 
by the Roman commander Popilius Lainus and vented his exasperation on the Jews. In other words, his army lost the battle against the Romans. So he sent his general Apollonius with 20,000 troops under orders to seize Jerusalem on a Sabbath. There he erected an idol of Zeus, the chief god of the Greek pagan gods, and desecrated the altar by offering hogs on it. The idol became known to the Jews as the abomination of desolation, a type of future abomination to be set up in the Jerusalem sanctuary again in the last days. We can see that in Matthew 24, 15. A comparison is helpful. The little horn in chapter 7 came out of the ten horns of the Roman Empire, the fourth kingdom. The little horn here in chapter 8 came out of the four horns of the Greek Empire, the third kingdom of chapter 7. The little horn coming up here in verses 9 through 11 seems to be a prototype of the little horn that will rise at the time of the end out of the fourth kingdom. The similarities are striking. The two little horns represent a ruthless dictator. These two horns both suppress the biblical faith and worship of the one true and living God. The little horn of Antiochus prepares the children of God for the final little horn, the arrogant end times dictator who will rule during the seven-year tribulation. Both horns appear together in succession in chapter 11 of Daniel where the transition from Antiochus, the Greek little horn, to the arrogant dictator, the Antichrist, in the end times occurs in verse 36. And some of uh, those understandings shall fall, the scripture says, to refine them, purify them, and make them white until the time of the end because it is still for the appointed time. So basically the scripture says, and some of those of understanding, uh, thus God's children shall fall in the end to refine them, to purify them, make them white until the time of the end because it's still for the appointed time. Then verse 36 in the chapter 11 says, then the king, the little horn of the end times shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every God, shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods, and shall prosper until the wrath has been accomplished, for what has been determined shall be done. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. In other words, this little horn at the end times is going to exalt himself above all, just like Antiochus did here in the uh, second century B.C. So the little horn of chapter 8, Antiochus, declares himself equal with God. And the scripture says, exalted himself as high as the prince of the host, which means he intended for people to worship him. He halted the sacrifices in the temple. He began the Greek pagan worship of Zeus at that location of the holy altar of God where he sacrificed pigs to Zeus which is blasphemous to God. This happened over a course of three years, which in the Hebrew is 2,300 days, evening, morning, two different days. So this equals three years and 55 days. In the end, the world ruler will also occupy the Temple Mount and declare himself as a god to be worshipped. The reign of Antiochus Epiphanes prepares the way for the eventual declaration of the coming world dictator who would declare himself a god and require the world to worship him. We can see this in Revelation 13 of that end-time little horn. Then I stood on the sea, and the Bible calls him the beast. And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads 
a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon, that's Satan, gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon, who's Satan, who gave authority to the beast, the Antichrist, the little horn, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who's able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months, three and a half years. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, the Antichrist will rise and will take authority over the whole world. But God will prevail in the end. He will send the Lamb, as we will see shortly, and overcome the Antichrist as seen in Revelation 17, 12 through 14. The Bible says, The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. They are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast, the Antichrist. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. The Lamb will overcome. The Lamb is the soon-coming, conquering king that we'll see in Revelation 19, riding a white horse, in declaring victory over all Satan's forces. God has promised, and what God has promised, he will do. Spurgeon says this, God never gives his children a promise which he does not intend them to use. There are some promises in the Bible which I've never yet used, but I'm well assured that there will come times of trial and trouble when I shall find that, that the poor despised promise which I thought was never meant for me will be the only one on which I can float. My friend, God has promised these things will come to be and that he will never forsake his children but will fight for his children no matter what happens in the world. I challenge you to lean on his promise, trust in his prophecies, and look up to the eastern sky. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming soon. The vision of the future has been given and God is working in ways that we can't understand but we got to trust him. Through this pandemic, we have to trust God. We have to realize that God is doing things beyond our ability to grasp, but he's going to come back, and he's going to declare victory, and he's going to take his church to himself. Let's say a word of prayer this morning. God, we thank you that the vision of the future will come to pass just as you have planned, that the plans in your heart will succeed because you're God. You control all things, but, Lord, you care about us as individuals, and so I'm asking you, to comfort all our listeners, to wrap your arms around them, to strengthen them, put their faith in Jesus and in the plan of God as revealed in the vision of Daniel. And God, I pray that you would bring us to understanding of this time and of this season that we're in and that we'll fix our hearts on Christ and never look back. God, we honor you and we glorify you. May all dominion and honor and glory be yours forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, beloved. 
and I will see you next week on Crestview Inspiration. I pray God will bless your week and you'll lean on Jesus. Thank you for listening to Crestview Inspiration. May this ministry touch your heart, encourage you, and strengthen you. And may the Lord bless you in your spiritual walk this week. So on behalf of the Crestview family, we invite you back next week, Friday at 10 a.m. on WPTL as we spread the good news of Jesus.